I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. After a first wave that affected the entire country in March and April, COVID-19 cases are now particularly affecting Victoria. The Melbourne area is in lockdown and early education services are finding themselves back in a situation where they are having to balance health and safety, financial viability and an uncertain funding arrangement. While most of the sector is focusing on just transitioning back to the childcare subsidy, many Victorian services are facing a much tougher battle. To discuss what's happening in Victoria, Leanne and I are joined by two special guests. Julie Price is the Executive Director of Community Childcare Victoria, the peak body for community-owned not-for-profit services in Victoria, and Tamika Hicks is the Director and Owner of Cardinia Lakes Early Learning Centre, an early education service in Pakenham, Victoria. Julie and Tamika, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for having us, Liam and Leanne. So I think we'll start, we've obviously got quite a bit to go through tonight. I'm hoping we can sort of fit it into under an hour, but I think we want to start. This to me is just such a, a personal, so I'm really, you know, I'm sitting here in the ACT and we, we're still doing okay. We seem to be keeping on top of stuff, but it's been really hard just watching the numbers come in from interstate. I can't imagine what the individuals involved are going through. So I might start with you, Tamika, but then I'll come with you, Julie, as well. Um, I think the first question is just how, how are you and your, your team? How are you, how are you going at the moment? Look, it's, it's, it's hard. You're trying to stay positive. You need to stay positive for the team and for your families, but it is exhausting and it can be at times emotional. And I think the biggest thing is just being mentally exhausted from thinking and, and the thinking around preempting, you know, what's going to happen and what's happening, forward planning and because it's un, it's uncharted, it's um, it, it's hard and and exhausting. And I'll keep saying exhausting because you, you're trying to think ahead and you're trying to plan ahead, but you just don't know what's next and you don't know what supports are going to be in place or or what's not. And it's a, an endless triage of of what you're going to be doing, both for you know a business for your staff and employment and, and thinking about them and their families, for, for the families at the service and and thinking about, you know, what is impacting them. And then, of course, while we're all here, and that's for the children and making sure that everything is, you know, a, as normal as possible and and when it's not, how to, how to navigate that. So, yeah, the, the thinking and the exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a word I'm hearing a lot as well. Julie, does that sort of ring true for you and the services you're involved in? Oh, very, very much so, Liam. Um, Tamika, I couldn't agree more. That uh, when people ask me, I just go, "Well, I'm just feeling weary and a little worn down." And I know lots of my staff are you know, scared and fearful as the numbers aren't dropping here in Victoria. You know, we had all hoped with this lockdown that the numbers would have started maybe to come down by the end of this week, but they don't seem to be. Um, and 
there's a growing sense of anxiety um, across the sector and um, across individuals. And as Tamika says, as leaders trying to stay positive and upbeat, encourage people that it's okay when you're not really sure that it's okay um, and uh, reassure um many, many services that are calling us with questions and queries and um, when we can't give them answers about, well, I don't know how much longer I can go with the level of um, uh, attendance we've got now and we haven't got much to come back to them with at the moment. So, it, um, yeah, it's, it, it feels a bit harder this second time round than the first time round, actually. Do you think because it's sort of coming off a lower base as well, Julie, like, you know, centres and uh, the, the sector's already a bit sort of marginalised as a result of, of the first round and now it's coming back to this second round, they're already a bit sort of depleted in many ways? Definitely, Leanne. You know, everyone was exhausted through the first round, kept going, just starting to rebuild and then it feels like a bit of a slap down now when you're not quite back on your feet yet. Mm. Is there, do you think that um, people, um, I'm going to go for the big question, do you mm. think, and Tamika, do you think people are thinking about leaving the sector as a result of what's going on because it is just this ongoing um you know, wave after wave. A lot of people have been able to work from home, obviously, but in the early childhood sector, people can't work from home, and they need to be. They need to be there, and it's asking a lot of educators to turn up every day. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think I think there is that discussion, but I think too that a lot of educators aren't in a position to be able to make that choice mm. to not. Um, you know, to to stop working and and stay at home, and especially if their partners have have lost lost their jobs. So mm-hmm. within my team, there hasn't been that discussion. But um, I know from talking to other colleagues, you know, educators are talking about that, and it, it's it's hard because I know educators want to be there for their families and for the children. But there is that growing sense of safety concern because the goalposts keep shifting, you know, um, yeah. and and they're shifting a lot in the last or even in the last week. You know, masks weren't an issue. We had um, services up until and probably that still are not doing things like pre-screening and temperature yeah. checks. Yeah. And now we're hearing more that well, actually. Uh, children can pass it on and, you know, services are being closed down because children um, have got COVID and things are evolving that don't um, give us reassurance and and increase that anxiety to feel not as safe as what we did the first time around or just in the first few weeks of this this, um, latest increase in numbers. Mm, yeah, I totally agree, Tamika. I think on um, the Department of Education and Training Victoria's website, I think there's over 30 um, education and care services that are currently closed because of positive COVID cases. Wow. Okay. 
And that doesn't count the services that have been closed and are now reopened. So um, there's a growing number and there is now evidence of transmission within those services, within some, not all of them, within a small number of those services. So that is really scary because the first time around we were reassured that, you know, really that wasn't going to happen and great hygiene practices within services keep services safe and, to you know, they do in the main but um, it doesn't totally protect you because COVID is so contagious. And I know we had um, uh, some union members had a meeting with the Department of Education last week and we were talking about what we would like to see going forward. And even then, you know, the department were talking about early years services still being classified as low risk and when we asked the reason why um, the difference of children in schools being able to home um, school and not the closure of early years services, they were talking about um, the increased traffic of the schools moving around, whereas early years services only account for, you know, four and a half thousand services across Victoria where the school system's a lot bigger and the traffic associated with the school system is a lot bigger and when um, they explained that to us it made sense but it still doesn't make us feel any safe because it's mm -hmm. it, it um it's it's still happening in services no matter how greater the number of schools are that service just has to be your service and then that doesn't feel good enough so yeah um, yeah it's 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 worrying mm. <laughs> I'm stepping back and letting Liam ask a question, but he's he's not going to ask one, so I will. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was, Liam. I was letting everyone have a good chat. Well, I might, I might leave in if that's okay, because I want to get on to, I think our sort of main thrust for tonight was we wanted, we wanted to have a look at um, the, what's happening in Victoria and how it's affecting different people. What might be great, and this might be putting Tamika and Julie on the spot, because, you know, I'm following this from afar and it seems pretty complicated. For those who are listening, you know, outside of Victoria, will be pro probably be pretty familiar with sort of what happened in April and May, is that we saw obviously the the virus start to spread in Australia. We saw families making the decision primarily due to health and safety, in some cases uh, for economic reasons, because they maybe have lost hours of jobs, starting to remove their children. So this sort of became a bit of an existential threat uh, to the viability of the sector, and the government stepped in eventually with a package that kind of worked for most of the sector, but we had this sort of national response. So the sector received 50% of fee revenue uh, that they had at the end of uh, February and were receiving JobKeeper at that point. So there was this sort of national response and people were at least aware of where they were at. That's not what we're seeing in Victoria. And what we're seeing now is kind of a more piecemeal approach. Um, you know, Julie, um, would you be able to maybe just explain to maybe listeners outside of Victoria what what sort of has the government stepped in and and offered in terms of support for the early childhood sector for this specific outbreak in Victoria? Yeah, sure, Liam. Um, well, all the services across Australia are getting a 25% um, transition payment, which is 25% of that income from the reference fortnight back in February for most services. Um, for services here in the lockdown areas, just in Melbourne and um, Mitchell Shire, 
um, the the one thing that um, the uh, government has done is to allow services to waive the gap fee. So if families are saying, I don't want to attend because um, I'm concerned about COVID, um, they can stay enrolled but the service can waive the gap fee, which was a great first start because we do want um, families to stay engaged with services. However, that really is um, putting uh, pressure on services as far as their long-term sustainability. It's fine because they're getting 25% of their previous income. If their attendance still stays up above the 75% mark, they're doing okay. If it drops a bit below that, they're, um, you know, still making ends meet. Uh, but the, the, I guess the thing is that they're, what they're really saying is you can keep them enrolled even if they're not attending because, right. yeah, which is only one part of it because there are those costs already there yes. that, the, that the gap fee pays for, I suppose. Exactly. You know, is, exactly. Yeah, so. And um, part of signing up for the 25% transition payment was an employment guarantee which had services saying that they would continue to employ all the staff that they had. So that means that um, they need to at least offer shifts even to the casual people that they had um, employed just before the transition payment came in. And as I say, that that works really well and is working, um, the transition payment's working really well in other states in Australia in this shutdown area Quite a number of our members are still above the 75% attendance rate, but there's others that aren't. And our outside school hours care services, of course, are the ones that are hurting the very most because schools are now um, in the learning from home uh, stage and so there's very small numbers of children attending school our outside school hours care members are reporting that they have about 6% attendance oh, last wow. week. So, so are you seeing, because um, I, I was thinking the same thing in our local outside school hours care during lockdown, mm. um, they, you know, I thought, oh, gee, there is just no one mm -mm. At, at that service, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so are you seeing those um, services closing? Is that what's actually well, happening? At the moment, they're still hanging in there because they're hoping to get something from the federal government as far as some form of sustainability payment or, um, you know, previous to the um, free childcare offering, there was um, community childcare fund, which services who were having sustainability problems could apply for. Um, we've been asking for a sustainability payment, but we've heard no announcement yet from the federal government so I'm not, I am really worried about um, the long-term impact for outside school hours care because they won't be able to last um, five six weeks mm. let alone if the lockdowns um, extended so it's a real concern for us here in Victoria. Yeah absolutely and I think you know, on top of the removal of JobKeeper at roughly, you know, the same time, um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'd imagine that's a that's a huge amount of pressure. Well, um, and look, that's probably not a bad segue to have start having a think. I think when, when the, the media has been uh, paying attention to a lot of these stories, and I think particularly as we've seen cases of centres having to close due to uh, children and staff mm -hmm. um, testing positive for COVID-19, um, what we often see in the media and even from the government uh, is that we see this big focus on um, families and children, obviously. But mm. obviously educators are such a hugely important part of this. I actually want to start there when we when we think about the experience of educators over the last, you know, four or five months where they've been, as we sort of talked about, continuing to come into work during times when there was still huge uncertainty around their own health and safety, um, you know, being called frontline, you know, sort of essential workers by the government, but, um, you know, they're having JobKeeper taken off them. I think I might start with you, you know, Tamika, if we think yeah. about you and your team, um, you know, what has this sort of, more anxiety-inducing, I think, second wave. What's that sort of meant for educators? How are, you know, how are they, how are they travelling in at your centre at least at the moment? And and for leaders as well too, Liam. I'd be Ooh. kind of interested to hear both perspectives because I think, as we mentioned, leaders are managing a lot of the anxiety of families and educators. So Absolutely. I did, didn't mean to hijack that question, but I'm keen. <laughs> You're always hijacking with things about leadership. <laughs> you, you have Sorry. this idea that leaderships in early child is important. I will, we, we'll have to talk to you about that. <laughs> <some other time. laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it, this time around, it's a lot more concerning and there is a lot more anxiety within my team and I know from a lot of discussions with what they're reading online on social media um, threads around other services and what educators are facing and the biggest thing is is that there's no the safety net's not there anymore in JobKeeper mm. and they know like some of my team are on their you know third and fourth time that they've been COVID tested that requires time off mm -hmm. you know within our service I've spoken to them about um to try and, and lower their anxiety and give them a, a sense of um, security with, in their job that we've got the transition payment and this is what it's for. And I know that that discussion isn't happening across the board because, you know, some services are, some services aren't waiving fees. So, you know, that does and then doesn't come um, at a cost. And some are giving COVID leave, some aren't giving COVID leave. So. Um, I mean, I can only speak from my experience and hope that other services that can um, support their staff can. And I know that there's also been a lot of um, discussion around services who can provide it and services who can't because financially they just can't. And I think yeah. one thing that has been highlighted through the whole COVID mess is the um, complexity of our system and how we don't have a one-size-fits-all approach to, to helping services because there are so many different factors in overheads and the running costs of, of, of profit and non-for-profit. But, I mean, in terms of my team, just letting them know that there is going to be paid COVID leave and that you're not going to, you know, it, it's not going to be... Um, uh, a thing that they need to worry about because some of them don't have any sick leave left or some of them have very little annual leave left or, mm. um, you know, they've heard of, of educators in, um, you know, in some services that have been made to take their annual leave right down to the last, you know, hour when we know that that's not lawful. So mm. there's a lot of um, a lot of angst 
online within educator um, circles. So I think it's um, a, as a leader trying to, you know, quash that and know that um, that we're there to support them. But obviously they're hearing stories of, of the lack of support. So um, just doing the best you can with, with what you have mm. is, is important. But then I can totally understand that while some services are doing the wrong thing. Some services actually can't provide that support that they want to because the government, you know, the support is not there. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Tamika. I think, in, in, yeah. The, hashtag it's a mess. What is the impact on um, leadership then in terms of like how, I know talking in New South Wales during lockdown, it was sort of dealing to, people were expressing, because I was working with different groups of um, leaders, and they were saying they're dealing with their own anxiety, mm -hmm. they're dealing with the anxiety of families and mm -hmm. educators and mm -hmm. social media is kind of mm -hmm. out of control. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the impact on, what do both of you think is the impact on, on leadership? Sorry, Liam. Um, Leanne, I think that the impact it is, will be profound. I think that... Um, Many leaders like Tamika are hanging in there and are exhausted and are continuing to put in very long hours with all the thinking and working out what to do next, what's our next step, what do I need to make sure that I'm doing for the staff, what do I need to make sure I'm doing for the children and families. And, you know, no one's taken holidays or a break or very little as far as our leaders in the sector. And um, it... I think they're getting really, really exhausted and I'm concerned for them um, for the long term because there's no there's no sunrise in sight. Um, you know, one leader I was talking to that has um, had to close a centre for two weeks um, and she said, you know, that was really hard. She um, didn't get much support from DHHS. It was a long process to really understand what she was meant to do and how she was meant to do it. And the thought that that could happen three or four more times before we get through the COVID crisis. It's mm. um, exhausting. And mm. Yeah, not not really sure. As as an uh, association, what we're trying to do is um, share as much information, keep people as informed as possible, to try and help them to come up with solutions to all these unfathomable challenges that we're, they're facing. But that doesn't um, really take away from that level of exhaustion that Tamika was speaking of earlier. Mm, yeah, and don't. Manage, management don't send cupcakes to your <laughs> people, <laughs> as Liam said last week. Don't do it. Well, don't only send packets of Barocca, not <laughs> coffee. A coffee subscription service might not yes. be bad. Yes, <laughs> or crates of alcohol. We should not say that. But <laughs> but um, I mean, Leanne, we 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 should we would be remiss given we have um, you know a leadership in early childhood expert uh, on the mm. call. Um, in your good self. I mean, we're, we're we're talking about sort of. I mean, this is this is leadership through extended crisis. I think mm. we're talking about, and I think you know, I think leadership in early childhood was complex and challenging and difficult before twenty twenty. Um, you know, I, I don't think I have a question, Leanne. But what are you what are you thinking at the moment in terms of oh, the work you do with leaders, and what are you what are you seeing at this time? Yeah, I 
I I would hate to say that I had any ideas because I just think this is unprecedented. The only kind of thing that I think about this and in talking with people is that the complexity it it's not it just isn't solvable. It's always complex, but at the moment it's just not solvable. And I suppose my my feeling is please um, hang in there because, like, if you know, we, we just hope it's going to get to the other side, but the sector needs you. Yeah. And, and I think um, I, it, I'd be devastated if this wonderful um, early childhood leadership that we have is so compromised in their own well-being that they they can't go on mm. when you know just incredible people with this experience and so I kind of know I just can I send some cupcakes or can <laughs> I I don't know because I just I just feel like it's it is so complex what we know in complex environments is that good stuff eventually happens in them mm. um, and creativity and innovation comes out of them but it's just a really hard slog uh, right and now yeah it's, it's almost like if you could be minister for a day what are some like, like what are some of the little things that you could do to just help bump the sector up and and for me it would be um teachers and uh, uh sessional kinders could have curriculum days to plan and and gather their thoughts and but where's our curriculum day mm -hmm. it was just you know every once a month give us a curriculum day so we can just gather our thoughts and, and have some downtime and have a have a bit of a refresh because those oh. educators that are working full time five days a week 38 plus you know hours oh. a week because when they get in their car they don't switch their brains off and they're thinking of you know all of the children and the families and a holiday isn't really a holiday because they're stuck at home and they're probably still thinking about work. But just uh, just some downtime or just uh, uh, recognition's not enough. The Prime Minister standing up in Parliament saying that, you know, without us, you know, the whole place would stop, yada, yada, because that's all it is. It's yada, yada when... Yeah, exactly. When you get really at the heart of everything and, and here's your here's cuts to JobKeeper, even yeah. though you're at the heart of everything. I mean, really, what, what government needs to do is just dump a, a big load of cash, basically. On yeah, pay, pay everyone yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be fine. And I, I agree to make a look with the, you know, I know there's a university in New South Wales that's given their staff two days off in recognition of having to change over to online teaching um, and the stress that that's caused. And that it's like everybody's getting that in the university, not the one I work at, everybody's getting it at the university because, you know, it's a recognition and it might not reflect everything that, that um, some of those people have done, but it is, I think everybody's taking that and saying, wow, okay, thanks very much. You know, there's yeah. some recognition there's there. some level of recognition, Leanne, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And there's there's incredible like resources and things on your Victorian Department of Education site, but who's mm. got time to go in there and have a look at those things if they're in you know this state of stress and work and caring yeah. for their families and often their extended families? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we were, we were actually talking about that last week that there are some services, um, some of our. Uh, the United Workers Union members were bringing up that a lot of 
management weren't, you know, don't have the time to go through those emails and resources because it's almost like, well, I'll get to that if I need to get to that. Mm. But for now, I've got all of, you know, I've got mm. six staff away. These mm. are getting COVID tests, blah, blah. And and knowing that you're not wanting to get any, you can't get any agency workers in because that's a huge risk. Mm. And then so... You know, are we asking families if they can stay at home, please stay at home because half of our kinder team are away mm. um, getting tested and then we'll waive your fees. And then even even for, for managers just sitting down on a Friday afternoon and going through fee waivers and then, mm. then adjusting direct debits and then looking at next week's attendances, it's, it's never ending and it just does not let up. And... And I don't think the government have any idea of what um, leaders and service managers are, are having to go through in order to keep things together and keep the doors open. Thanks for that, Tamika. I think I want to have a think now about... Um, the effect on children and this can often be a bit harder to to quantify I think I think if I think back to the work I was doing um, with the early childhood organization I work with in ACT we were seeing really different reactions we had obviously a lot of children staying at home um, the impact on children who were just missing friends people they were used to seeing who were in a particular routine um, I think children also picking up on the anxiety of adults uh, is also something that's interesting but I think there's going to be years of research on this particular topic, and I'm not going to preempt any of that because I'm uh, certainly not the right person to be doing it. But, um, you know, Tamika, Julie, are you seeing particular, given the, the the specific challenges, I think, of this particular lockdown in Victoria, the fact it's a second time again, the fact that I think we're probably seeing heightened levels of anxiety and stress in the adults around them, are we seeing particular um, impacts on children i mean even uh, i've been reading a lot of the media reports just the fact you know centers are closing and being cleaned for two weeks children you know stopping coming then coming back um what are we sort of seeing out there i i, I think we're seeing really resilient children um we've got areas popping up in the in the rooms where they've got their masks and they've got their doctor's sets and they're talking about germs and and I was listening to a group time in our three-year-old room a couple of weeks ago and they were sitting around in a circle with some distance between them and they were talking really frankly <laughs> to these children about germs and hygiene and and um, Carly one of the leaders was talking about so what's that word that we use when we're talking about germs and washing our hands and they all said together hand hygiene and <laughs> and it was so wonderful and I just thought that's really fantastic and just the frank discussions and the resources that we're finding online talking about you know why people are wearing masks and and the importance of washing our hands and just and just um storyboards that they're just creating themselves it's it's a real credit to the educators but in terms of the children just resilient children that are really um, literal in their thinking and they're just asking questions and and it's just being um, really frank with them, but a, a soft frank and the parents are really appreciative of it. And, um, and look, the educators are doing a great job. They're, 
they're flying off the seat of their pants as well and they're mm. dealing with it and trying not to show the children that, you know, they're apprehensive, they're anxious and they're a little bit scared of, of what's happening, especially, you know, after the numbers came out today and we're thinking, oh, you know, it's almost like a daily thing of bingo. Everyone's thinking, oh, 250, 280 and then... <laughs> We hear 480 and it's just that sinking feeling like, oh, my goodness, 480, that's really bad. Yeah. And you know, what can you do? So, yeah, it's a it's an ecosystem of, of COVID awareness that's just, yeah. And You're not learning the point of running like betting markets yet, are you, or anything to make it? There isn't like a thriving. <laughs> Although that could, that could, you know, that could, um, spike up some you know good morale within the team if we started running a ticket on daily numbers <laughs> funding a lottery exactly. <laughs> it's um interesting that the children are demonstrating that resilience i mean it's not surprising i suppose but it's that's the joy i suppose to make her in that there is a, you know, I'm looking, I'm sort of looking for the optimistic side to, to some of this. Yeah, um, well, they don't, they don't know any differently, and Like, they're just thinking, okay, yeah. this has come along and this is how we deal with it and we're, we're getting... We learn through things. play. They're playing, they're exploring, they're understanding their world through their play. Exactly. That's the great thing about early childhood education. Children have the opportunity to do that, don't they? Mm, they do. Yeah. It's so yes, fantastic. What, yeah, I, it I was is. Say, I, well, I even saw that with my own uh, children. Mm. We've got a little, um, during the first round of lockdown, we've, we're, we're so lucky to live in sort of the bush capital and we've got a creek that's not too far that we used to walk to pretty much every day. And um, my youngest child, uh, Elliot, turned six uh, in lockdown, um, but it was five at the time. And he was literally, you know, doing that classic thing of building dams across the creek, but he was, he changed his play to see he was trying to catch the virus to you know go little green bits of um you know it's probably stuff they shouldn't be touching but he was grabbing sticks and he was trying to keep keep the the ability of children to yeah exactly as you said julie sort of understand and contextualize their world through play Um, and to make it was i'm so glad you sort of talked about the resilience of children because one of the things i've you know struggled with in terms of my role is I sort of sit in an office and I think of the policy and I think of the advocacy and I think of, you know, how we're supporting educators. I don't work directly with children anymore. So this instinct is to kind of sit there and go, oh, God, you know, everything's terrible and children must be feeling really anxious and nervous. Then you hear from, that's not, that's actually not the story I'm hearing from um, educators either. There may be some examples of that, but it is that children are far more resilient than we think they are and probably far more resilient than we are. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Um. And I sort of not to, I, yeah, I guess I am taking it a bit of a different direction. But in just thinking about the, um, you talked about the opportunity for maybe a professional development day or something like that to make up. But what other things would make a difference in terms of external supports that you both could recommend um, if you were giving advice to various um, governments and statutory bodies, even? It's um, in, it's interesting to think about things when you're in the midst of a crisis. And down in Victoria at the moment, there's a lot of submissions happening and a lot of work going on for the Victorian Royal Commission into Mental Health. Um, and 
and a draft came out about that during the week and I've been reading through that and now reading through it with the lens of COVID. Mm. And whilst we have great um, programs like the BU program and lots of resources that we can get, it's having the time to be able to do the program, to relay that program's um, goals and 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 how you can implement it into your service with your team. Mm. And we just don't, we are constantly playing catch up with professional development in our own time mm. that, um, that when a service is, you're never going to get ahead on that. So it'd be great to have mental health. We've got um, as part of our school readiness funding for this term, an art therapist coming in twice a week to work with our kinder team and the kinder children. And just having her on hand is a, is going to be a wonderful thing for us to get through term three and and because it's a pilot um, project for us, hopefully um, all going well into term four because just having someone on hand in um, the workplace to talk about these things. I'm not a professional, but we all know as leaders we um, are the centre therapist and, um, <laughs> you know, who then becomes our therapist or we shouldn't have to be our team's therapist if we don't have that time allocated or training. And mm. and we know lots of services and, and directors don't have that um, um, time or experience or um, the knowledge or ability to do that. And I mean, I've been, I'm in my 20th year come this October and I often think about um, leaders that are relatively new to the sector, especially if they're in a management or director role, if they're in their, you know, first, second, third, fourth year of doing um, in a management role and facing the times we are in now yeah. and worry about their um, mental health being inexperienced or not having as much um, support behind them or knowledge. And, yeah, it's just, oh. that, it, it's just that lack of support for the sector that we see in the school system. And, mm. um, and again, all, all, um, all uh, crisis highlight um, poor policy, and there's a, a a lot of poor policy being yeah. highlighted at the moment. Yes. Yeah. So you know, investment in the quality of services rather than the cost of services would be what I would say. So that services, as Tamika is saying, the leaders do have time to do professional development. Each individual educator has time to reflect, to think, to you know, improve their practice. We just haven't got the level of investment right into education and care services yet in Australia. And it's and it's the award. Like yep. imagine if our award had non-contact time for mm. educators and not just the leads and teachers. Um, and decent amounts of non-contact time that actually you could do the job that um, of continuously improving your practice. Mm. I mean, to think that we still have two hours in the award is, mm. is, ridiculous, is ridiculous. And, mm. um, yeah. 
And what what advice would you give government now just to ease the pain and get get through this particular period that would give um, services some certainty? I think that that we really need for DESI to um, come out with some form of sustainability payment so that services were clear once they are in not very good financial straits that they um, will be able to keep going. They will be able to survive through these really difficult times. That That's the real basically and without all the extra investment that we were just talking about that all our um, leaders and educators deserve, mm. um, the, um, I think one of the real really big problems in Victoria for services has been the slowness of the DHHS, that's our Department of Health and Human Services down here, who are doing all the contact tracing. and the um, in the last couple of days, I think, yeah. Yeah, there has, Liam. Um, and because it's been appalling, um, five, you know, four, five, six days wait after they've told the department that there's a positive case in the service oh. before they get any advice about what to do. Gosh. Um, and and we, get, we get given the paperwork from the department and, and this came up, Julie, last oh. week, um, that yes, there's a there's a timeline and there's a what to do, but then you're expected to do everything in between. And mm. and and we had said that services are best place to be telling or advising, consulting the department how long we need to be closed for because we know you know what children in the rooms, who they're exposed to, what staff are in the rooms, who they're exposed to, the movements yeah. of the staff, like. The contact tracing as a manager, you can do off the top of your head because you know the mm. um, movement within your service. And, um, I mean, I know uh, from experience a couple of weeks ago, we had six of our kinder team come in close contact with someone who had tested positive. Mm-hmm. And it, we had to ask our, you know, there was no direction because it wasn't a, a contact with that had been in the centre or and so we just were really um, honest with our families and said this is the situation I've asked those six staff members to stay um, at home until they get um, tested and um, they won't be returning until the last staff member receives um, a negative test We'll keep an eye on the situation, but we ask, you know, if you can keep your children at home to keep them at home, mm. um, just because we're not going to be getting in any new staff um, mm. to cover them. And parents were really um, thankful and they were um, grateful that we'd been so honest with them. But that was very um, disruptive, but there's no guidance around that. And I think services our best place to be able to manage things. But when um, when you're faced with closure and you know that it is a case in your centre, the turnaround time has been woefully slow to the point of if we've got the Premier standing up today saying that, you know, one out of two people who get tested, you know, don't stay at home and all of this sort of thing, but then we know that we've got services that have had positive tests within the service, and you've got a slow turnaround time, 
that slow turnaround time could be costing more people um, an infection. And and what does that what does that mean? So mm -hmm. uh, it's it's under resourced from what we're hearing and. Um, which is concerning when the numbers are going up and more services are being closed. So Definitely. And our, our Department of Education, the early childhood section, has been working really hard. They've been listening really well and um, providing lots of advice. As you say, Leanne, they have got heaps of really useful information on their website. And certainly they're trying to work with DHHS to try and smooth this out. And hopefully it will be resolved soon because I totally agree with Tamika. There have probably been result, um, outcomes of transmission because people haven't got the right advice in a timely way. Yeah. So, um, yes, get on top of the contact tracing, Victorian DHHS. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be really helpful. When it's you like think a house about, of cards, isn't it? It's sort of... It's, yeah kind of built on it and and there's there's no chance of people staying at home if they don't know <laughs> yeah. exactly don't and, know exactly. and, and it's worrying because you know we're hearing reports from um from the government that people if they are infected can be infectors within um within a day of becoming mm. infected themselves so that turnaround time is really quick crucial yeah but yeah. it highlights as well for me the why there's no one to me has ever made enough of a distinction between schools and early childhood centres. So the argument for closing schools is to prevent that, you know, that, that thing where people are coming in and out of, um, you know, a particular space. But it also means that for the, for the schools that are now closed, the contact tracing is less urgent because people are meant to be at home and isolating, whereas with early childhood centres who are continuing to operate that the urgency around the contact tracing becomes, you know, so much bigger. But the argument then becomes, well, if, if, we, if we can't get it done in a particular, you know, uh, amount of time that that's useful, mm. why are early childhood centres remaining open? Why aren't services being supported to, you know, funded to do what schools are doing, which is saying that they can't continue to operate at the moment? It just that, that, that distinction to me has never been made clear by any government, including, you know, the ACT government right yeah, well, Liam, what, as Tamika was saying before, the Victorian government um, argument is that there's 700,000 school students that move around the community and only 30,000 children attending education, early childhood education and care. And so it's about the volume of people in the community or not in the community. So that that is what they are that's the reason they are strongly giving this time about why shut down schools and not early education facilities. But as Tamika said earlier, that doesn't really help our educators to feel safe and particularly now as there have been transmissions in centres, within centres, um, and I'm sure, as Tamika was saying earlier as well, um, the chat rooms on social media will be full of that. So um, <laughs> people will be even more concerned. And if the um, timeframes for getting good um, advice don't cut right back very, very soon, I'm not sure that we won't have a little revolt on our hands. And I... 
I would totally understand why educators would be saying, I'm not coming to work. I don't feel safe coming yeah, to work. Yeah, and, and what we know about educators within the sector is that they have multiple roles that they mm. play with um, their extended families yes. and uh, with friends as well, often carers for a range of people, yeah. old and young. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you asking people not to see their families in this way aren't they mm. and not to not mm. to have contact with their families this is a it's quite cruel mm. Mm. it's harsh Absolutely. yeah well we have um regular listeners of the podcast know we tend to record these late at night we have um tamika and julia both volunteered their time we've been having a fascinating conversation. We've They're already pushed them. and we've pushed them more. When they both go to the therapist and say, what pushed you over the line? I said, oh, that night I had to stay up <laughs> till, you exactly. know, talking to Liam and Leanne. We, obviously, this podcast has a, has a you know, it's a strong foundation in advocacy. So we have two pretty amazing advocates uh, with us tonight. Um, Tamika has been a long-term um I first got to know Tamika through the Big Steps campaign um, and, and working with, with educators. And then, you know, Julie with Triple um, C Victoria has, uh, in, in my mind, had the best organisational peak advocacy during the Jobs for Families campaign. It was one of the very few peak bodies sort of pushing for children's rights to access to early education rather than being happy with a cut to minimum subsidised hours. So um, actually, now I've got one on line. I want to say a big thank you to that because... Thanks, you um, it was wonderful advocacy. I might start with you, Tamika, and then come to you, Julie, as as the as the, as the peak body of a wider range of organisations. But you know, Tamika, with your advocate hat on, obviously we we we've just come through a period where we there was you know free early education for children in Australia. It was imperfect. It it, it still didn't in, 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 you know it still locked out the same children who were locked out before. But at least you know um, children weren't paying. Whereas so these crisis points, I think, give us opportunities to think about well, how can we use these times to advance the things that are important to us so you know speaking as as an advocate i think particularly probably for, for educators I, I think you, you know at least that's my that's my view of the amazing work you've done um how do we what do what, how do you think maybe maybe specifically in victoria how do you think the sector and needs to come together to, to sort of advocate at the moment yeah i think um not just Victoria, but the whole sector and with all of the threads that i'm seeing on social media it just comes back to who is going to and who is going to make change and who uh, and what is going to going to be the tipping point for us to not be worrying about things like getting JobKeeper taken off taken off us and if it was in any other sector um, the uh, the members of the union of that sector would be standing up and making the biggest noise that you have ever heard yet. We have so many educators that are not union members. If this was teaching, if this was nursing, um, we wouldn't even be talking about it because the, the package wouldn't have been taken off us or something would have been put in, um, in as a transition for educators specifically. And educators uh, are worried about uh, not having any sick leave or annual leave, having their hours cut, casualisation, um, keeps growing within the sector. If you are not a member of your union, uh, then you need to be. And being a keyboard warrior is one thing, but putting um, your pen to paper and signing off on a union membership form and standing up and being part of the change and being part of the voice that needs to be a lot louder than what it is, 
is what needs to happen at the moment. And um, if anything, this crisis is highlighted whilst the government says one thing and pats us on the head, it'll soon rip away whatever it is we have. And why? Why do they do that? Because they know that our voice is not strong enough and we can't just turn around and say, oh, okay, well, we're all not going to work today um, because the government are going to do this. And then the government would soon say, oh, well, we'd better, we'd better listen to these guys because, you know, they're a strong union, strong like the nurses, and we have to listen to them, but they're not listening to us. And that's because we need to grow in our strength and, and it's something that, I've seen for 20 years and I hope I don't see it for 20 more because educators need to start being part of the change they want to see. And if we want to see the change, we need to be part of a stronger union. Fantastic. Yeah. I could not agree more than Tamika. Um, you know, Julie, as someone who's like seeing you know, a peak body, I imagine this is a really challenging time where you're working with a government that, um, you know, I think regardless of political bent and which at a state or territory or even the national government, I think people are trying to do what they think is right. But obviously, um, you're, you know, you're representing a lot of organisations that are in some you know, pretty difficult times at the moment. What are, you know, what are you sort of thinking as, as a peak body at the moment in terms of um, advocacy now and in the future? Uh, advocacy now is really trying to get to the points that we've been talking about tonight, Liam, so I won't go over those again, but I think for the future, what I'd really like to see is us all strongly coming together. And I know the United Workers Union is well and truly behind this and getting a really strong workforce strategy, a national workforce strategy that has money and resources behind it and um, is addressing issues like pay and conditions and um, professional um, development and preparation of our educators and teachers um, because without that, uh, I'm not sh I think we'll just keep limping along. We've got a world-class system, some, a lot of very dedicated educators and leaders in our sector, but they're working under really harsh conditions and we need to see that they're looked after and nourished and cherished so that um, that system can really support the best of every child that's in our education and care systems across Australia. Well, I think we've entered there on two really powerful calls for action. Um, and again, I think all I can say is I completely agree. Uh, Tamika, Julie, I want to thank you both for joining the Early Education Show tonight. Thank you. And um, hats off to Victorian Early Childhood Services and um, to the educators of Victoria. Thanks so much for all of the work and uh, the sort of challenges that you're facing at the moment. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks for having us. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jarzar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.